Hi y'all, I'm Bernie. I'm Evie. And I'm Nicole, and you're listening to Woke Woke Docs. Today we are interviewing the dope Dr. Maisha Davis, a family medicine physician at the Department of Public Health and local community clinics in Oakland. This episode is particularly awesome because we talk more about how Maisha has been able to pursue their own paths and hobbies in music, art, and integrative healing as a physician. We also learn more about how Maisha's multiple intersections as a black, non-binary femme have informed their journey into and through medicine and life. We especially appreciate Maisha's lessons on learning boundaries and pursuing what you love, from dance to DJing to concert going, to keep them in touch with what makes them feel alive. So stay woke, y'all, and thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey everyone, we are here with Maisha Davis, and they just suggested an awesome opening question. What's on our current music playlist? It could be Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, we don't discriminate, Mm y'all. Amazon has a platform too, Google Play, YouTube. (laughs) Oh, we forgot about those. Just expanding. (laughs) I guess those are things too. (laughs) I'm a Spotify girl myself, and Lately, on my uh, made, they make these playlists that are specifically made for you, and you have your di- different little daily mixes. And yesterday, my daily mix was hitting me with some Solange, some No Name, some Moses Sumney, oh some God, Daniel Moses. Caesar. So a girl was blissful, to say the least. Uh, yeah, so the, I've been really enjoying them. So shout out to Spotify. The algorithm is working. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing something right. Um, yeah, so I can't complain. Can't complain this week. What about you guys? You want popcorn? Me? Oh, yeah. Bernie, sure. what about okay, you? Okay, cool. Um, I've been in like a little jazz mood lately. I just I mm. needed to be on my zen. So I've been listening to um, the Robert Glasper Experiment Radio. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Afro Blue. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Erica Badu. Mm. Um, also a lot of lo-fi. There's, okay. Mm. There's one. It's called Lo-Fi Hip Hop Beats. Beats to oh. study, relax, mm-hmm. and game two. It has a little cute fox <laughs> on, on Spotify. Cover. I'm looking at it, looking at it right now. It's great. Definitely <laughs> recommend that one. Did you know that on YouTube there's a whole? Oh, I gotta. I'm not gonna remember the name. There's a whole Lo-Fi Hip Hop instrumental playlist that's animated with like oh. talking an- like talking animals doing different <laughs> so things cute. while the hip hop is playing and you can listen to it for hours while you study. What? I'll find oh the gosh. name. I'll find the name. It's Please super do. cute. I don't know That's who so had the time cute. to do that. Obviously they're not a doctor, but <laughs> <laughs> Nicole? Cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um I've been listening to a lot of salsa. I like haven't mm. been out dancing in a while, so I've just been listening to like Celia Cruz and a lot of those awesome oldies wow y'all keep it really classy i mean to? there's a range <laughs> i'm on my classy side of the range i'm listening little sims you guys know little sims Little Sims is from the UK. Is a <gasps> rapper. Oh my gosh, British rapper. Yes. Someone just told me exactly. to listen. If you listen to, to this the, album, what yes. is it called? Let me see. Oh. I haven't listened, but I was gray area, to. especially the song "Selfish." Bomb, bomb. Talk about jazzy and hip hop and all those things all okay. in one. Ooh. Bomb. But the first thing when I had said the question, what was in my head and on my on my heart was Blueface Tatiana remix <laughs> with Cardi B. The Cardi B And maybe, remix. you know, that's classy, too, because Cardi Cardi's B. involved. Okay. And when is Cardi involved and it's not classy? I don't mm-hmm. know, never. Mm-hmm. So those are... That was a good remix. Those are the two. It is a good remix. I heard Nikki's remix, too, and I, I didn't did feel the Nikki same. Did Nikki do a remix to She did, she did a remix Tatiana? first. Barbiana. Oh, Something like that, I think. Oh, no. I don't know. <laughs> All I heard was that Cardi did it better. I can't say anything <laughs> on the air <laughs> about Nicki say. Minaj. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll all be attacked by her, <laughs> by the barbs. I'm crying. Do y'all have... I'm, I'm wondering whether y'all, like, do you switch up moods on the daily? Is it, like, a weekly thing? Like... Because I've been on this, like, jazz thing for at least a week. You know what I mean? It really depends for me. Like, sometimes I can ride out something for a whole long time. But then other times, you know, you'll just be in a certain vibe. And you're like, okay, I need to slow it down. I need to be a little bit more chill. And maybe then I'll switch it up to maybe something a little more jazzy or I don't know. It depends. But I can really ride out the same vibe for a whole week. I can listen to the same song, like, (laughs) on repeat for a few hours 
So mm-hmm. you know I can listen to a playlist over and over again <laughs> for mm-hmm. a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. I yeah. I it really it depends on my vibe for the week. Like if I feel like I need to move and keep going, it, the songs keep changing. But yeah. I think I like kind of have attention deficit music disorder. I don't, I like gotta be <laughs> flipping through stuff ADMD. real quick. Yeah. Um, I wish I didn't, I didn't used to be like that. I, I used to be able to like sit down with a CD, but that's when we had physical CDs and we didn't really have Spotify and you'd be in your college dorm room and you just hit play and then it would repeat. And then you were just the one that played Michelle and Deggio Ochoa all day in the room <laughs> while you studied for physics. Um, but I will say I can always, always listen to a sad falsetto singing dude mm. at any time. So, like, I saw James Blake last week. I could put <gasps> on any James. You saw James Blake last week? Oh, yes, week. at the Fox. Oh. He, was, he, was, he was fantastic. He was my he's a little happier now oh. with Jamila, so now he I stands up and sings. <laughs> you know, he used to just hide behind his piano, but now he's I'm like, crying. let me swish these bangs to the side, girl. <laughs> just give you a little taste of just the Jimmy Blake oh just my falsetto. It was great. It was great. And Moses Sumney is song. actually my favorite male vocalist of all time he's from the ie 909 no way yes, 909 909 hand over your heart what are you what are you what area code 818 818-626-909. southern california all over so this place yeah. yeah they represent <laughs> it feels like la right now it does outside yeah, it's it like a miracle it's a beautiful day a beautiful yeah sun shining well we are so grateful for these group of people that are in this room i recently read this book where it's um, Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. And um, she was talking about how every single room there is a unique conversation that can be had that can take place nowhere else except this time. And so I'm really grateful for all of y'all being here. And we are especially super grateful to have Maisha here with us. They um, are an incredible person and we got introduced to Maisha from one of our previous podcasters um Dr. Zoe Julian who that's a favorite y'all like we get it like (laughs) Zoe is awesome and again Maisha we are so grateful to have you here yeah thanks for having me yeah and so we want to start with um questions that we ask each one of our interviewees so what made you go into medicine and what's brought you to this place here today right um I feel like I haven't had the like, why medicine question in a long time since like my last round of interviews. And We're I wish that my, back. I know, I, I know. <laughs> I just l- like, wish that my story was like so different and it was like aliens came and they told, but that's not <laughs> it. You know, um, I had a mom who was not a doctor, but who was around a lot of doctors. My mom has worked at Charles Drew University for as long as I've oh, wow. been alive. And um, she, we didn't have a lot of childcare, so I always went with her to different things. So I was always at community health events she was one of the first people to have HIV mobile testing units in the country. And so I was exposed to medicine really early and I was exposed to not only doctors, but black doctors really early. So it was like norm for me that that could be a thing that I um, could do. And I turned 10 and I was like, never, I'm never doing this. I'm gonna be a chef or I'm gonna be a masseuse. I'm gonna just like do something completely different. And I got to college, I, made, I was pre-med. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's what brought me to medicine. I think what kept me in medicine was just having this realization as an adult that um, I identify as a healer and I've always identified as a healer and my, the ways that I heal are in interactions with people and being able to make connections with people. Mm. And I think actually a lot of the way that we're taught medicine limits those connections that we make with people. So um, staying in medicine is really about me trying to figure out how to integrate that into my practice to make it something that's more sustainable for me. So that is kind of, was that your question? How I got to medicine, I think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. all right. And I know that you're a family medicine physician. How did you choose family medicine? Oh man. What sort of was that process like for you? I tossed a coin, no. I mean, it's like the same as everybody else. We were talking a little bit earlier about data gathering. I went through all my rotations. And actually, Andre Campbell had me thinking that I was going to be a surgeon. Andre Campbell, wonderful trauma surgeon at San Francisco General, tall black man, very uh, um, 
just like awe-inspiring. And then I went into surgery and they were all like, yeah, you totally should be a surgeon. And then I thought about that bearing out in my life practically and the amount of time that would take for residency and the age that I was. And I was like, nope, that's probably not my ministry. And at the end, it kind of came down to emergency medicine and family medicine, both of which I loved equally. Um, and if I was in emergency medicine now, I think I would be equally as happy, but I decided to make the choice based on both of those professions get to see people that come back to them time and time again, but in family medicine, you get to choose those people. In emergency medicine, mm -hmm. you don't. And often the people you see coming back and back, you like you have a hard time helping. Those are like the frequent users. So I, I knew that I, if I could form a relationship with people in the, in the office, that would make it feel like a more fulfilling practice for me. So what does your like week to week look like? Mm -hmm. I know last last week you were you were attending hella art events. You were attending oh, yeah. a James Blake concert, you know, like Oh yeah. You seem to be living it up. Oh, I'm all about balance. I probably mm -hmm. was most lit while I was a med student, if Ooh. I'm being honest. Which okay. is like nobody in the city so <laughs> to back it up, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do. have been queer for a really long time and um but I've only, I haven't been out for that long. So when I went to med school, that was like my queer coming out in San Francisco. And I was like, look, I'm going to do this doctor thing. But also I got some other things to do and some other ways to grow. And so <laughs> I <laughs> made a lot of time to not only go out to concerts, because I know concerts keep me, keep me going, keep me alive. I probably during med school, I would go to at least once a month, if not three times a month and see people. Um, but I also would go out to a lot of queer parties and most of the people in the queer community didn't even know I was a med student. Especially since at some point I got to the place where I was go-go dancing at these parties and they'd be like, oh my gosh, my agent's here, hey girl, hey. <laughs> um, until maybe you saw somebody in the emergency room that you partied with and you're like, hey, so different context. <laughs> Still cool, it's fine. It's fine. In your scrubs and everything. Uh, like, yeah, in my scrubs, <laughs> taking care of this person that normally we just like kiki at parties. <laughs> but wow. you know, that's the community is small. The community is very small. Um, San Francisco is very small. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, yeah, there two things that I've always told myself that I would make time for in whatever profession I chose and that was arts and culture and therapy mm. and so I make very radical I draw very radical boundaries around that time and space for me and I tell all med students and residents I meet that they should do the same um, it might not be arts for them but it should be therapy mm -hmm. everyone should be in therapy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even when you're feeling fine especially when you're feeling fine mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And have you always had those clear-cut boundaries? or? Oh, no, no. Were there certain moments where you were like, these need to be drawn now? Yeah, I mean, when I first, I think I first saw a therapist when I was at UCSF, probably within my, um, between my first and second year. And the first round was fine. And I was like, oh, this is kind of weird, but I'm glad I'm able to do this. And it wasn't until I was, I think I was in my peds rotation in my third year that I was like, no, I really need to be going to therapy like very regularly and more than those first two were like 10 sessions. I need to be going every week indefinitely. And I told the person that was in charge of the pediatrics rotation, who is an amazing woman to this day. And she told me, and quote, she's like, Maisha, if you need to go to the doctor's appointment for diabetes, wouldn't I say yes? So of course I'm gonna say yes to you going to therapy for your mental health because that's just as important. So you just, if anybody has a problem with that, you tell them to talk to me and uh, take care of yourself. And so in wow. her giving me permission to draw mm -hmm. those strong boundaries, that is when I first felt like I can draw these boundaries for myself and I don't need permission from other people, but thank you for jumpstarting that mm -hmm. um, for me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I draw really strong boundaries. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool that you had a physician mentor yeah. who was so understanding yeah. and so supportive of that because I feel like that might not always be the case. It is not always the case. Shout out to Andy Marmer. She's mm -hmm. awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what does therapy give you? And why do you recommend it so strongly to med students? I think it's that, um, it's kind of what I was talking about earlier in that I think the way that we are taught to become, well, I don't know that we're taught to become healers. The way that we're taught to become doctors involves a lot of dehumanization, and a lot of rote memorization and a lot of taking 
the woo and the magic and the feeling out of the healing. And I think that therapy helps you identify when these things are happening, identify um, when maybe you're experiencing some kind of spiritual or emotional fatigue and Mm. um, help you capacity build around coping mechanisms that work for you um, when you get to those hard places. And also just acknowledging the the positive steps you make within that arena as well because it's not just about identifying oh this sucks and this sucks and this sucks but Mm -hmm. like what are you doing that is making you more resilient here what are you doing that's improving this for people who are going to come after you Mm -hmm. i think therapists have always helped with that Mm -hmm. yeah therapy therapists help with like regular life too you know like dating and things like that and Mm self-esteem lots of stuff yeah so it seems like um, therapy is also like a way, you just said, like for life in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you see all aspects of your life playing into your role as a physician now? So all the identities you hold, mm-hmm. um, the intersection of all of those. Yeah, things. I think um, used to, well, no, I still kind of think of myself as a little bit of a unicorn within medicine, I identify as black, I'm queer. I'm genderqueer, like I identify as a non-binary femme. Um, I'm like not small, I'm a large-bodied person, and all of those things I think help me to identify with more people. And I think uh, people get better when they feel their doctor is connected to them and that their doctor cares about them. Mm -hmm. And when you can show them that maybe you've, or they can infer that maybe you've had a similar experience to them, then people are more open and that connection that you have, that interpersonal connection becomes stronger. And so I think that's the way that I've been able to put it into my, um, into my practice. Amazing. Yeah. So beautiful. <laughs> oh. I just love that. No, because I really do believe that as doctors, um, we are given this really amazing opportunity to help. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've been sort of struggling ever since I heard someone say that like, doctors aren't healers, but they help people heal, like heal themselves. And mm-hmm. then, so I'm sort of trying to figure out sort of where I stand with that. Cause I've always sort of th- seen myself as like, yeah, you know, I want to be a healer, but is it that I want to be a healer or is it that I want to give people the tools and make people feel comfortable healing themselves? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think I was just reflecting on what you were saying and just like, the importance of building those connections with people because mm-hmm. um, I think that's really a large part of why I wanted to get into medicine in the first place because I knew that the connections that you make and like how comfortable you can make someone mm-hmm. feel can really um, impact their health and how much they're willing to tell you and how much they're willing mm-hmm. to change their medication regimen and actually follow it so they can actually see those improvements in XYZ chronic yeah. um, issue they may have going on so I really like that you um you know, that, that's something that's so important to you, too. And that, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. just so beautiful. Y'all, it makes me so happy. My heart oh my is so touched. Single tear. Single tear. I no, I think there's this, like, misconception in, in your medical training that healing or whatever helping people has to be this action that you take, right? You're taking this direct action upon an individual, and that action is supposed to make something feel better. But I think part of healing, too, is the sitting back and the stepping back mm-hmm. and receiving. Mm-hmm. And we can receive so much from our patients. Our patients come in and they tell us these stories that they've never even told anybody else in their lives. And in that process of telling and in our process of witnessing, we have way more power than than like using a scalpel and cutting off this thing and mm-hmm. prescribing a pill for this and that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we can have way more lasting impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've also been thinking a lot more about like the rhetoric of like empowerment and how oftentimes like um, doctors are framed as like being the voice for the voiceless or like mm-hmm. empowering other people and inherently that type of rhetoric um, assumes that people don't have the capacities to be empowered themselves or that they don't have voices when actually the language should really shift to again what you're saying of like allowing people like doctors not empowering other people such that like we are the source of that empowerment but that we are um, uplifting their voices and that they have always had that voice and it's just a matter of really amplifying um, and making sure that they we are passing the mic so that they are the ones who um, see themselves as like the change for their own lives rather than us being the source of that. I love that not we're not speaking for them we're passing them the mic so they right. can speak for themselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that mm-hmm. yeah 
So we want to hear more about also your your DJ aspirations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the art like, stuff. And all the I art keep stuff. on putting that out into the universe. You guys and can't have see. I, even, I, I was gonna, just Go gonna say you guys can't see Maisha right now, but she's dressed like really dope. But she just has this really great. They have this really great aesthetic. Oh. Please forgive me. They. Um, no, and so yeah, I just feel like art is really important to you, and mm-hmm. I definitely want to hear more about all that everything oh god how many things are there art is super important to me and i think uh in med school like i did the go-go dancing and the things and then in residency i don't think i did anything and so much of my art has then shifted into um my fashion like and how i dress in the office and um i think art is really about trying to figure out the you that you are inside and trying to express that outwardly in whatever way that you need to. Is that singing? Is that dancing? Is that your clothes? Um, But that's where I'm struggling now with trying to figure out ways to get past this barrier I've set for myself around failing in the arts. I think actually Mm -hmm. that's a lot of the reason why I've been talking about becoming a DJ for like five years, but I like have only bought a turntable and had one lesson with a friend, but I have multiple friends who are DJs Mm -hmm. who would like help me do this. Um, and I think we get so invested in success in mm-hmm. this like medical school path that we're on Ew. that, man, when we think about what it might mean to not be successful, even not be successful just right away, like all these things take practice, mm-hmm. it's, um, it can be paralyzing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I am right now. I'm a little bit paralyzed, but I'm trying to work on it um, because I really, there are times in my life when I feel most free and those times are usually when I'm out on a dance floor and there's some kind of Afro house music being played. <laughs> I think house Can music relate. is very spiritual, y'all. Uh-huh. I know some people think it's like, but that's like techno and like a whole different jam. House music is like a very spiritual experience. And um, um, I think as someone who is agnostically spiritual in that like I don't know if there's one spiritual understanding that encompasses everything that we know in this world but i do believe in like spiritual powers and and that there's more to our lives that we don't understand like being able to incorporate things in my life that feel inherently spiritual are important to me and so that's where the art comes um comes into play for me i haven't really actually got into um med school while i was a graphic designer for a little nonprofit in la well, yeah, and I would love to be able to con- like do some of that stuff again. But yeah. just casually was dropping that in there. Art was <laughs> oh, it's also art a was graphic designer. designer. Yeah, it was my entryway into medicine. It was from I was working for California Black Women's Health Project, oh, but wow. designing like all their flyers oh, and the wow. website and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you were casually pre-med and I was. <laughs> <laughs> can you Sucks. ever be casually pre-med? <laughs> you, <laughs> can try. you can try. But it comes out. Right, right, right. Struggle. Yeah. So that's where I am with mm-hmm. that. But um, mm-hmm. at some point, I would love to, like, um, I feel when I said I feel like I'm a healer. Have you? Have any of you ever read the book of Water and the Spirit, or know who Patrice Molidoma Somme is? So he's a man who wrote a book. Uh, and I think he was from somewhere in Central Africa, but I could be messing that up. And basically this book is about his life where he was born in this village. The Jesuits came to the village at eight years old. They were like, we're going to steal some people. They stole all these young boys, took them away to a Jesuit school, like hundreds of miles away from their families where they had to like have this formal education. Those boys at like around 18, they were like, well, I think we're done now. So they like break out. And then Patrice walk, tries to walk back to this village that he doesn't even remember the name of to find his family. He somehow makes it back. And then he has missed the initiation that he was supposed to have as like a young person in this village. And so they have to decide, is this person still an insider? Are they an outsider? Could they still go through this process? He goes through the process, details like a bunch of stuff in this process, and then realizes that he's known his whole life that he was born to be a bridge between communities Mm -hmm. and like a bridge between peoples. Mm -hmm. And so now he, I think he teaches over at CIAS in the city. Um, And this is is a living person. This is a person. This is a person. A living living person. You can look it up up after after this podcast (laughs) is done. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think 
my understanding of myself as a healer, a lot of it was informed by that book and informed mm-hmm. by a lot of what went on in that book. And so much of healing and traditional practices does include dance and it does include like art and it includes music and drums. And so that's why I think I'm drawn to those things and I'm drawn to medicine at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that really resonates because we had founded the Freedom School for Intersectional oh, Medicine. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, when you sent that email, I was like, oh, my God, that's crazy that you had heard about our curriculum. Yeah, of course. Yeah. People were trying to do it in Seattle. and There's somebody Shut up there up, doing it. Yeah. crazy. Wow. They opened yeah. the <laughs> Burning a core and inspiration. <laughs> Y'all are inspirations yeah. for real. But yeah. it really is coming from that whole sentiment of like um, the medical school Western canon does mm-hmm. not recognize how um, a lot of our communities have um, produced love as resistance in spite of so mm-hmm. much like oppression and mm-hmm. how um, the, those are their own health narratives. And so like one of the readings that we always have is something called This Bridge Called My Back mm-hmm. by Gloria Anzaldúa and Sherry Moraga. And um, really feeling that sometimes our own existence and the identities that we hold, like we ourselves are bridges. And I think we, we were te- texting about this, but like having our existences as revolution and so critical to even like even if on the daily, like, we're just really trying to survive mm-hmm. in this, like, medical institution, like, our existence here is actually part of that revolution. And, like, what does that actually mean to be a bridge between communities that have never learned, not have, not have had access to these privileged languages of mm-hmm. medicine? Mm-hmm. And so I've been thinking about that a lot just because, like, what does it mean for ourselves to be those bridges mm-hmm. and for ourselves mm-hmm. to be those healers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's hard, and it includes a lot of self-sacrifice. It does. Mm-hmm. And, but we're, like, choosing to do that. Don't mm-hmm. ever, like, get in the place where you, like, start feeling like a victim about it because defi- we're definitely making intentional choices to do this. Mm-hmm. Or we should be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that whole thing about capitalism and student loans. And, <laughs> <laughs> and the Spotify, you know what That's I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Spotify. That Spotify oh, deal, $5. I know. We should be on title. <laughs> We should be on title, but it comes with Hulu. And got us all. Yeah. And got us all. Mm. Trapped. <laughs> Trapped is right. Yeah. I have a quick question. So yeah. you, it seems like you have thought about a lot of the things that you find passion in and how that is spiritual for you and mm-hmm. also informs the way you care for your patients. Mm-hmm. How have you been able to reflect that way? Like, have you intentionally made space for that in your day-to-day? Have you taken time to really you know how do you explore these things when we're just so busy all the time um explore the things like out of the office out not outside yeah, of work yeah um i think for me oh all my stuff is like still trapped in seattle right now in a storage unit because even though you're an attending doesn't mean you're rich um <laughs> but i had but i had an altar that um, has important things on it for me and just really grounding my home space with an altar is is super important. Mm -hmm. I actually just went to this really um, good dance workshop by this woman named Amara Tabor Smith that um, someone named India Davis put together in the East Bay. And it was for queer, I think it was for queer people of African descent specifically to come together and it um, was like an Arisha dance workshop but like with house music and this person, the the facilitator, she specifically has done a lot of work around uh, facilitating spiritual, not kind of like facilitating catching the spirit for people in community and at workshops like these. Um, And that actually, going to that three hour dance workshop felt like church, it felt like going Mm -hmm. to the gym, it felt like all the things that I wish I could have in my life more often. So I actually told my therapist, I was like, I need to find a way to find some dance classes because mm-hmm. even the next day when I went to therapy, she's like, your face is so much more open. What what happened? I was like, oh, I just was therapist. dancing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's those are the ways that I'm I'm trying to do. And I'm supposed to be hanging out with a friend to do um, some DJ lessons too. Awesome. But yeah, I sit and listen to a lot of music by myself. Hi. <laughs> Do you find other down doctors or? I mean, y'all met Zoe. Mm -hmm. True. Zoe and I do hang out sometimes. Mm -hmm, mm 
other down dog. Uh, I feel like, yeah, I feel like every, mm, there were definitely other down doctors at my residency program um, that I'm still in contact with. The one, we all had to do Grand Rounds presentations our last year, and so myself and this other doctor, Colette Harris, who we had known each other since um, college at Stanford, actually, we um, did our Grand Rounds presentation on critical race theory in medicine, and just like, how those things overlap and intersect and how those things can inform the way that our anti-racist quote unquote interventions can be improved in the hospital that we were at. Um, and so there's her, there's most of the people that were in the, the so the prime program, I guess for your listeners, just the program in medical education at UCSF for the urban underserved. So people who are selected for that program have really committed to working with underserved populations. So everybody that was in my class in prime, super down, I still talk to them. Mostly I don't really hang out with doctors that much though. Mm. Most of my friends are like artists and activists outside of, mm-hmm. outside of medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that separation. And though. witches. I have a lot of friends that are witches. Hi, Bay Area. (laughs) (laughs) And the Bay Area's been giving you life with all of that? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, the Bay Area gives so much life because there's so much culture. It's so much easier to be queer and black and gender nonconforming here than it is in many places in this country. But at the same time, like, I'm a doctor and I still live paycheck to paycheck. Like, the the cost of living here is hard. Mm -hmm. And, um... I mean, I, I think we we go to these schools and we get these degrees and we end and then we're like, okay, I'm at the I'm on the mountaintop now. There, I'm not going to struggle anymore. But then, you know, there was a moment in time this fall when I was living on a mattress on a floor in this moldy house and I lifted the mattress up and the mattress was covered in mold. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. some of my patients aren't even living like this. How am I living like this right now? This is the, we just have to change the way that we. Um, that we become professionals in this country, I think. Um, and there's nothing more frightening than, than seeing the headlines and seeing that like public service loan forgiveness might be done away with. And, Cause then it's like, what do you do? I own basically a house in educational debt. Yeah. And I'm not broke, I'm definitely not broke, you know? I'm mm-hmm. not poor, but I, I am not rich. Mm-hmm. And the Bay Area is quickly, rapidly becoming a place I feel like for rich folks. Yeah, I know that was a downer. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're just keeping it's it just real. We're keeping it real with us. Reality. And so, with um, these interests in art and also your career in medicine, do you ever feel like those two will ever integrate? I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I really, in the future, it would be so awesome if I could. Um, I used to, I was telling you guys earlier, I used to drum with this drumming group here in the um, East Bay when I was in my post-bac program called Isis Rising, which was like a group of older black folks, older black women specifically that did um, West African drumming. I think the average age was probably like 55, maybe even higher. Mm -hmm. I was the youngest member. And um, that practice just felt really, really restorative and really meditative in a way. It's not quiet, but it feels meditative. And I always, like, I've always been good with youth. The youth like me, the children, the <laughs> teens. They think, I'm, they think I'm cool still. So I'm going to hold on to that for as long as I can. So I think combining those two things would be something I've been talking about for years and years and something that I really, once I find someone who will pay me to do that, <laughs> True. Um, would love to do in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you, and this has kind of been resonant in all of our episodes, but I think um, it's so prominent in this, and all of what you're talking about is how unapologetic you are about, like, your interests and your passions and, Mm -hmm. like, who you are. Like, this is who I am, and these are the boundaries I'm going to set up because this gives me life. I think, like, that type of... um, I just really admire that because I feel like a lot... I feel like on the daily sometimes I'm like... Should we be doing this podcast? Like, there are yeah, people. you should be doing this podcast. <laughs> you know, there are people who walk in and they're like, "What are y'all doing? Like, don't we have a standardized patient exam tomorrow?" Mm-hmm. And um, there is sometimes a guilt that is like associated with that. And sometimes it's it's interesting to realize that sometimes your joy um, can be revolutionary because mm-hmm. these institutions mm-hmm. expect you to not yeah. be in that state. Mm-hmm. Didn't Audrey say self care was revolutionary? I'm pretty sure she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I've been thinking about that a little more, and it's just been resonant everything that you're saying, so I really appreciate that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I appreciate you all for doing all this. It's not something that we had during our medical school. <laughs> there was no woke podcast. Just like venting sessions in the Castro. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Did you hear what happened in small group? <laughs> but yeah, actually, I mean, we were talking about like why did we make this podcast, and really, it was out of survival, <laughs> or yeah. like me and Nicole initially, because I mean, we're still we're still daily gathering, but um, <laughs> yes, yes. But um, I think having these very regular conversations with such badass individuals on like. How are you still able to be a multifaceted human being mm -hmm. while trying to be a bridge mm -hmm. um, and having that having being disillusioned like literally every two weeks <laughs> and having to come back to something that reminds you like who you are as a person is really why we started this podcast as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really, when I like think about you just when I think about like my projected future, have you guys um, met Melanie Turvalon yet? You should have mm -hmm. her on your podcast. I'll send her a text. Okay. <laughs> she, um, she is Become one of the now. women that coined cultural humility as a term. Uh, as, oh, uh, yeah. As a, I've heard. Of. Yes. Yes. yes as opposed to cultural competency, because mm -hmm. you can't be competent in someone's culture, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's not real, that's an illusion. <laughs> yes. um, but she is a pediatrician who doesn't, she did practice medicine at some point, but doesn't really practice medicine anymore. She does consulting and cultural humility and things of that realm, and like paints, and mm -hmm. is writing a book, and goes to dance class, and like that is her life. Mm. I know, I know. <laughs> it's okay. You, <laughs> you know, mentorship is I really important. She's one of my mentors. I'm sure, you know, if you reach out, I should. it's super important to <laughs> reach out to the podcast. people. Yeah, you got to reach out to your possibility models, as mm -hmm. Janet Mock would say. Ooh. Possibility mm -hmm. models, not role mm -hmm. models. Mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. But she's, she's pretty legit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, I also wanted to comment on um, something I feel like we can all resonate with, which is like our hobbies do not have to like always produce y'all. Like they can be hobbies. <laughs> they can <laughs> be hobbies. You're right. Not everything has to have some sort of end goal, That's product, paper, this, that. It can just be for the joy that it brings you in your heart of hearts mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. let it be that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. that should be enough. It doesn't have to have some sort of end game this I don't know, you know? Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've been feeling that too. Yeah. With the summer coming up, everyone, <laughs> the first year medical students, is like, summer explore, like this whole big application. <laughs> like, summer what is that? That's a, it's the, the summer explore like, research application. Like, there's like, oh. this whole funding thing. And basically, like, they definitely talk. Well, they say you can do anything you want. You can. Yeah, no, you can. I did. You, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's the thing. They say you can do anything you want, but then they sort of emphasize the research part. That's and I'm true. like, well, what if I don't want to do research? Mm -hmm. What if I For want sure. to just be with my family? What if I want to just study? What if I want to just do yeah. podcast things? What if I want to do you, other art things? Mm -hmm. I know, exactly. It was like, well, then you guys aren't going to pay me. And that is, uh -huh. what? That what really you talking about? That really incentivizes that production, know. that knowledge production. I Academia, know. yo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, they just know that there are some broke students who are willing to go where the money goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's why so many people do research and don't just actually relax and do nothing. Yeah. I think yeah. I ended up doing research for half that summer and I used that money. I don't know if I'm supposed to. Sorry, UCSF. <laughs> <laughs> I think I framed my research, my like passion projects as research. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can Sorry, do that too. You can do that too. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's something to be said about just having a hobby that's just for the sake of it being a hobby and that doesn't have yeah. to um, be for like mm -hmm. the purpose totally, it's of for you yeah of, of every mm -hmm. there are some things that can be just for you yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Which. I was actually when I was growing up I thought I would be like a concert pianist because oh. I I like very specific yeah <laughs> <laughs> like um, two years ago it was like December I was watching home videos I was playing like Chopin's Fantasy Impromptu at 10, y'all. It was pretty crazy. I didn't real, and I just looked at it and I was like, yo, mom, dad, like, we weren't gonna do the concert pianos route. They're like, we thought you were good, but like, we didn't think that like, this could be an actual thing. And mm. I actually thought that this could be like a career, but then I didn't really see it 
like I didn't like performing as a soloist in front mm. of like crowds mm. um, and in addition to being like a, a solo concert uh, pianist I was also just like playing for church choirs <laughs> since I was 10 like that was always like my side gig and I would play for like weddings and quinceañeras and um, being an accompanist and playing for choirs was actually what gave me so much life mm, and like mm-hmm. continues to be just like one of the most meditative and soulful states that I can ever be in. And it's so funny because like people like notice the music that I'm listening to, whether it's like Tatiana, Tatiana <laughs> <laughs> in the bedroom, but then I go to church and it's like these church songs and people are like, that's the type. And I'm like, actually, yeah. And it's like, it's so beautiful to me. And um, at this point it's become kind of like a volunteer thing where I go to every mm-hmm. once in a while. And I just, like, I love it so much. I see the healing power of music in that setting, and I'm just, like, this is what this talent will continue to be for me rather than, like, something of, like, production and prestige. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've always just been at, like, odds with that because of this whole, like, pressure where, like, I have to constantly be making every single hour productive. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. So, Maisha, I'm actually really interested in knowing more about your integrative medicine background because I believe you have a little bit of experience in that, right? (laughs) You believe, correct? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, y'all. Don't want to clown me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was the closest thing I could figure out to be um, like a shaman. So (laughs) I was like, this sounds good. Let's do that. And it really, actually, it started here on this campus at UC Berkeley. Mm. I was getting my MPH, and I was like, ooh, medical ethnobotany. That sounds cool. And what is that? Professor Carlson, I think, is his name. And he does a class on that. And in this, like, women's health and birthing class, that's like, he's basically an anthropologist and a doctor. And he immerses himself into different cultures and then learns their traditions. And then there's this, like, big primer of a book that you got where we went through all these herbs and the traditional history, like the chemical structure, the various uses, and then the different pharmaceutical drugs that um, parts of the, those chemicals have been like incorporated into. It's like really, it was a really interesting class. Mm. It's probably the most, I wish I had done something like that in undergrad. So that was the start, and then I got to my residency program, and I just so happened, even though I didn't know where I was going for residency, <laughs> I didn't, my residency matching situation was a whole, it was a surprise. Um, but I ended up somewhere with a really strong integrative medicine program and with, um, the faculty member running that program who was my only faculty, one of my only faculty members of color, not the only one, but one of the only ones, um, named Tamit Sati. And so we, yeah, we had journal clubs and learned a lot about herbs and I've done, um, kind of training in functional medicine. I've done a curriculum in functional medicine, which is essentially just saying, um, these are the life events that you've had in your life. These are the varying medical conditions that you have had also over the course of your life. Where do these things align and at what places can we intervene Mm -hmm. to try to um, buffer some of those effects of those usually traumatic life events that you've had that have then played out into your health? You need more than 15 minutes to do that. So I have not had a functional medicine consultation with anyone. Mm-hmm. You also, um, the the, cro- the fork in the road that I hit after residency was, am I going to go to an integrative medicine fellowship mm-hmm. or am I going to go out into the world and just and be a doctor right now with mm-hmm. the knowledge that I have? Because even though I did this concentration, it's not like I'm not um, bored, like you can get certified in integrative medicine. I'm not that. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm, I'm like pretty early, nascent in my knowledge of it. Um, and for me, what ended up happening is I visited Santa Rosa to look at their program. And then like three days later, it burned down, y'all. And then no I was like, way. well, you know, oh, wow. And I didn't feel like I could be broke again for yeah. a whole other year. So mm-hmm. I was just like, I'll just figure it out. Mm-hmm. So the intentional ways in which I'm trying to incorporate that are actually I reached out to my mentor last week and I was like, hey, I feel like I just like need more practice and need to talk more. So now we have dates for Mondays to just think like once or twice a month we're just going to talk and just go over more things and like the new evidence in integrative medicine just to make sure that I stay mm. where I need to stay. Mm. Yeah. Two questions for you. Yes. One is the fellowship 
in mm-hmm. integrated medicine something you can do later on still oh totally you totally can do it later accessible. there's several there's one in arizona that i've been interested in doing the um, the whale one but that one is a lot of money it's like mm. i think fifteen thousand dollars they give you have to pay to yes, be you in have the fellowship to, pay to go to this fellowship oh you do oh, not that, all of them that changes not something. all of them <laughs> at this point it would be a pay cut to go to any fellowship and I don't know if I'm in a position in my life where I can do that. Mm-hmm. But there was also a fellowship at my program. I could have stayed there, but I didn't feel like I could stay in Seattle any longer because it's not where I need to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Though it grew on me over time. And then my next question for you mm-hmm. is, do you ever go to the Osher Center? Um, I have not recently. Okay. But Osher is also where I got my start because I took massage and meditation and then I helped coordinate massage and meditation with Wolf Mailing. Amazing. I was, was an say, amazing human being. For those of you who don't know, the Osher Center is this center for integrative medicine um, mm-hmm. at UCSF. And so I was curious if you ever mm-hmm. go there. And I so I took this elective that was on integrative medicine and mm-hmm. Wolf Mailing was one of the physicians mm-hmm. and he uh, he does a lot of manual medicine and yep. was talk, talking to us about just like he, where is he from? I, Germany. Ger- okay, he's yes, very German. German. Yes, he is very German. You're right. And he brought his like his massage. Name is Wolf. Tables. Yeah, you're right. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how that escaped me. <laughs> but he was like, I need a like a a volunteer. a volunteer. And I got on the table, and he just cracked my back. Yeah. It was great though. But I was like, Oh, oh my yeah, gosh. no, he's very talented. But he leads the massage and meditation elective. Um, mm-hmm. So is that sort of with your your align with your young young Maisha's goals of being a masseuse you know are you like okay. incorporating some of that <laughs> yeah, into no, that like, too or? I would I would Functional love to do that medicine. every time I'm able to like do something in the room I'm able to touch like we, we touch our patients but we don't intentionally touch our patients all the time and so I think someone came in with a headache one time and there's this maneuver you can do called an occipital release where you like basically like you cradle their head in your hands and then slowly the muscles relax and then you're hoping that the tension from the muscles that are like on their occiput will relieve the headache that they have, but you need time to do it. And But there was this one person, she was so anxious. And so I went and I was just like, oh, whatever, I'm gonna do it. It's okay if I'm running late and I did it. And I don't know that it completely got rid of her headache, but I could see like at least her anxiety mm. at the very least was able to melt away. And if you're able to do that, then, then the rest of our visit went on a whole lot easier than it would have otherwise. And I, um, I do feel like like intentional touch should be a part of my practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should is not like something I want to impose on other people, but for me, I know that it helps. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. 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 Where um, me and Nicole have also been thinking about like this. I think because we also come from either our own personal experiences, or mm-hmm. for me specifically, my family experience, where like. My mom does not go to the doctor, and I'm mm. gonna be a doctor. And um, yeah. there's some tension <laughs> How's there. How's that? You're gonna be her doctor. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't need to go anymore. There. Just kidding. But she like has her own ways of healing, and um, that are that just like work for her, and I think work for so many people. And hers is like spirituality, and a lot of like massage therapy, and uh, meditation too. And um, Especially with the East Bay, y'all, like, the East Bay is really, like, the holistic healing Mm -hmm. practices and Mm -hmm. the groundwork that's been laid here. Absolutely incredible. Um, Like, the Healing Clinic Collective is um, awesome. And so many, like, herbalists and acupuncturists here Mm -hmm. that have, like, really laid the groundwork. And the Black Panther Party, um, they were the first people who actually, like, brought acupuncture for underserved communities. And I, I think something that I've been thinking about is, like, integrative health really started with our communities and yet Mm -hmm. it's become so inaccessible and commodified by like a lot of these institutions so much Mm -hmm. so that now we like equinox like the osher center like they all Mm -hmm. got the they all got the secret sauce that integrative health has been um giving to so many underserved communities but they're actually like making it inaccessible and so i've been really thinking about more how do we create integrative health clinics around the east bay that really bridge this dialogue between um bring the strengths of Western medicine with the strengths of holistic healing again for this like um, duality working together. And so that's mm-hmm. something hopefully that we're launching in the summer, which is like a series of pop-up clinics where like cool. acupuncturists and herbalists are in dialogue with like primary care providers and there is a tensified relationship. There, mm-hmm. It's been a crazy ordeal talking to like PCPs and nurse practitioners and then talking to like holistic healing practitioners and realizing how much 
historical tension there is. There's a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, integrative healing has a huge way to go. And just, like, really glad to be in the Bay Area to, like, again, keep learning from that. Because I think it's something that I've been trying to figure out myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, it's kind of... I think it gets down to like where the tension springs from is this feeling that not that you're right in the setting that like I have to be right and I have to do this but just like people believe in their practices so much because like this is what they've dedicated their lives to this Mm -hmm. is what they're invested in Mm -hmm. and so this must be right and if I'm right how could you be right Mm -hmm. when knowledge like I said we don't know anything Mm -hmm. like the things we thought we knew in 1500 are not the things we know in 2019 are not the things that we'll know in 2150 Mm -hmm. and so I think of all the practices having that humility around like this is what we know now this is what we think we know now this could possibly change but let's at least engage in these things that look like they're going to help people um I think that that is how we come to um common ground with one another and just showing respect to one another because yeah it is it's super tense yeah. it can be mm-hmm. super tense yeah. and that's the that's the last question of this episode y'all it's crazy time what? has flown that was it? Oh. for real for real yeah. <laughs> oh wow i know um last question if so there are so many people that are kind of the next generation of like physician physician artists activists in their own right um what advice do you have to give to us and them and all of our listeners what advice (laughs) (laughs) bless us with your wisdom sage knowledge and wisdom um i think my advice hmm I think, well, I have this tat- this giant tattoo on my arm that I, uh, it wasn't supposed to be a giant tattoo. It was actually supposed to be a very small tattoo. And then I went to the tattoo shop in my last rotation of fourth year. And he was like, I think it looks better this way. And I was like, sure, that's fine. You can give me a sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> and it's from this book called The Elegance of the Hedgehog. And I think a lot of us go into medicine or go into healing practices really wanting to heal ourselves and mm-hmm. like having like some kind of rift in ourselves that we feel like needs to to be closed. And the quote is from this the girl, and it says, if you want to heal, heal others, and smile or weep at this happy reversal of fate. And I think it's just important to know that so much of our own healing is um, kind of integrated into our practice of healing other folks, mm-hmm. um, even in ways in which we're not aware of. And it's easy to one day look up after five years, 10 years, 30 years have passed and find that you are more whole than you, that you had, than you had been at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, that's really like a super esoteric, like non-practical <laughs> piece of advice that I'm giving there. But um, I think it's really easy to get bogged down in the steps and not see the huge picture, but there mm-hmm. is a huge picture and you're here for a reason and you're on the path that you're on for a reason so just keep keep doing if it feels like it's the right thing for you will do thank you so much for being here yeah we appreciate you yeah it was chill